Amen. You may be seated tonight. Good to see you here. Hope you've had a great day today. Aren't you glad there's no sin uh, that can stand up against the power of the blood of Christ? And boy, we can get ourselves dirty, can't we? I mean, we'll be doing good on a Sunday, and by Monday morning, we've been wallowed around in the slop and the mud, and we're thinking, well, there's no way that we can get that out, and lo and behold, the blood of Christ cleanses us. And what does the Bible say? White as snow. The other day, I was, uh, we were doing a project, getting the sign ready for the Kids Central logo to go up on the wall, and I'd gotten some Sharpie on the sign, and you know, Sharpie's hard to get out, isn't it? And Sharpie's kind of a stain, and kind of got it on that expensive plexiglass that we were building the sign out of, and my wife says, why don't you get a magic eraser? And while I'm thinking to myself, well, if there was a such thing as a magic eraser, I would probably need that because I'm always needing something cleaned up. She says, no, there's a real thing called a magic eraser. And I'm thinking, well, you're not getting that out. You know, that's Sharpie. It's not coming off. We're just going to have to figure out how to cover it up. You're not getting it off. My wife came in there a few minutes later with this little white sponge. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, well, you know, I don't mind letting her try it out and prove to her that it's not going to work. But, you know, I don't want to just, you know, stamp on her ideas because, you know, everybody needs to have one every once in a while. She dampened that thing, and she started scrubbing on that, uh, on that Sharpie, and uh, it's magic. It is truly magic. I think there's some elf magic in there somewhere that helps get, uh, get the stain off, and it scrubbed all of that Sharpie off. I got it up on the wall, and it looked real good, but, you know, sooner or later, you're going to run into something not even a magic eraser can take off, and those are the things that the blood of Christ are sufficient to get rid of our sin and the guilt and the pain. Oh, I'm so thankful tonight that that blood of Christ is sufficient for that. Good to see you here. Hope you've had a great day today. Wasn't the Lord good to us this afternoon turning the rain off? Oh, it flooded all day long. I mean, the gutter outside of the window of my office, the gutter was like uh, old faithful. It was just coming out the, the holes where the rivets were at. It was just flooding. And then right around church time, the skies begin to break and the, uh, the weather turned off. Thank the Lord for that. Aren't you glad we serve a God who can turn off the rain? Uh, what a blessing that is. Let's go ahead tonight and get back in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1. We've been here uh, for several weeks now all throughout this new year just walking through this and just sharing some simple lessons uh, out of the book of Lamentations <clears throat> that we can learn from. Excuse me. And I've got one for you tonight. It's very simple. I think we'll be able to relate to it. All of us will. Uh, but more than relating to it, I hope that we'll all receive the lesson out of this tonight, uh, the reason that God has preserved this force. Lamentations, I believe tonight we're going to pick up uh, in verse number 13, read 13, 14, and 15. Uh, I figured if we didn't start reading a few more on Wednesday nights, we wouldn't get through before the Lord came back. So I decided to go from one verse to three, and uh, I think we can get through this tonight. Try not to keep you any later than we need to. And I just pray tonight you came with an open heart, ready to receive what God would have for you. I really do hope you come to church looking forward to what God's prepared for you. And I'm going to do my best to prepare as much as possible with the time that we have throughout the course of a day to be ready uh, to present what the Lord has sent. But I hope that you come with a heart ready to receive what the Lord has sent, because uh, the Lord knows what's going on in your life. And as I've told a lot of people lately, I'm not your priest, all right? You don't have to come and confess to me. I don't want to know what's going on in your life, to be totally honest with you. Uh, but the Lord knows what's going on in your life. And the Lord, through his word, when we read his word, he gives us what we need to help us be able to cope with what we're going on in our life. Uh, and then the Lord provides for the preaching what we need to help with what goes on in our life. And so I hope tonight you come looking forward to what God has for us. And uh, you say, well, I'm not going through exactly what the message was on about tonight. Well, I assure you, if you'll put Put it in the cupboard of your heart, all right? Put it in that pantry and store it. Sooner or later, you're going to need what God is going to give us tonight. So let's look, if we could, verse 13, Lamentations chapter 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, from above hath he sent fire into my bones, and it prevaileth against them. He hath spread a net for my feet, 
he hath turned me back. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are wreathed and come up, up upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands from whom I am not able to rise up. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. So a lot to unravel there tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you so much for letting us be here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for holding off the weather that we could come, Lord, safely to church. And I pray you'd help us get safely home tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray, the Lord, as we bow before you, that, Lord, we would open our hearts to receive what you've preserved for us in your quick and living word. I pray we let your power, Lord, through the word tonight, uh, work the work that you're sending it to do in our lives. I pray we'd be changed by it. And, Father, I pray that not only would we be changed by it, that we'd carry the burden of your word into our lives, Lord, our spheres of influences, our workplace, our neighborhoods. And, Lord, carry the message not only of the gospel, Lord, but, uh, Lord, what your word calls us to do and how to live. Lord, we might lead our country back to repentance. And I thank you for what you're going to do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this afternoon about uh, oftentimes my wife and daughter and I will sit down on the couch and we'll watch a movie at the end of the day or we'll watch a show at the end of the day. And uh, sometimes we'll start watching a series together, you know. Uh, we went through all of the Andy Griffiths, I think all of the Petticoat Junctions, all of the... Uh, uh, leave it to beavers. We've watched just about all of those. and we've, we've gone on to watch a few of the Western series. And it's amazing as you watch these series, how you start getting attached to those characters. We all agree with that, that you have your favorite characters that you like. And uh, when you get attached to them and, and they have a happy moment, you're happy for them, right? Uh, and when they go through a struggle in their life or in that episode of their life, uh, you kind of are concerned about them. You have some sympathy for them. And, uh, and then when something bad happens, you feel bad with them, right? We, we're emotional people, uh, and we kind of relate to them. After a while, we get attached to them. I'll give you a prime example. <clears throat> when my wife was expecting Miley, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Uh, I was in the living room studying one afternoon, and she was back in the bedroom watching a, uh, we call them chick flicks, you know, those movies that, that women like that are very emotional and lovey-dovey. It was a good movie. Uh, I think it was, what was it called Love Comes Softly. It was a series that, um, that dealt with this pioneering spirit, this lady going out west and all the struggles of going out west. And I'm sitting there studying. My, uh, Miley is in her belly. We're expecting her not too terribly long. And all of a sudden, I hear Leslie crying. I jump out, run into the bedroom, you know, I, I'd never been a dad before, and she'd never been expecting before, and so I was thought, something, we're about to have a baby right about here, and I looked up at Leslie, I said, what's the matter? And she is just crying. She says, the baby's died. The baby's died. And I begin to panic, thinking to myself, well, number one, how do you know that? Uh, and then number two, why aren't you up on your feet? Let's get to the hospital. And she's just going, no, no. And she's pointing to the TV. She says, the baby died. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't feeling very sympathetic at that moment when she said that, but she had gotten so attached to that character and that lady was having a baby and the baby died and uh, she, was, she was lamenting or weeping for the baby uh, that had died on television. Now, obviously that was fiction, that wasn't real, but she kind of gotten attached to her and uh, I said, honey, it's all right, it didn't really happen. It happened again the other night, we were watching a science fiction movie together and one of our favorite characters on the science fiction movie died and I was feeling a little emotional myself because I kind of gotten attached to him and I looked over to my left and I saw the eyes of my wife glassing over and Miley's eyes were glassing over and uh, so I knew I had to be the man right then all right I couldn't break down in front of them and I says look guys 
I says, he's not really dead, all right? You know that guy didn't really die after the show. He probably went out and had a taco with the bad guy that killed him. I said, they're probably really friends in real life. He's still alive, but boy, I mean, Miley didn't pull the, we have blankets on our couch and we all have a blanket we, we, we get under when we're sitting there watching a movie. Miley didn't pull her blanket up over her head. It was that bad. I think they call that ugly crying. I said, Miley, it's all right. He's not really dead. It's, I'm Googling. Look, he's still alive. Wikipedia says he's still with us. It's all right. But she gotten attached to somebody that really wasn't real, and their struggles and their trials really weren't real. But I want you to think about what we're reading tonight. The three verses we just read are a grocery list of tremendous heartache. The three verses we just read is really an unrelenting barrage of pain in the lives of people. And I want you to know tonight, this is real. All right? This is not science fiction. This is spiritual fact. All right? And what we're reading about really happened to these people. And you read about the terror. All right? We're not even through chapter number one. We've read all these things that have transpired to God's people because of their sin. And we're thinking to ourselves, what a horrific turn of events. But this is unlike a movie. We watch movies. We turn the movies off. We're thinking, man, I'm glad that wasn't real. I'm glad those people really didn't have to go through that. And yet what we're reading tonight really, really happening. Now, here's what God wants, all right? Much like we do in a movie, we're watching that movie and somebody dies and we feel the pain of those people uh, that lost that loved one and that really didn't happen. God wants us to read this tonight and to feel the pain of people who really went through this. And God's hope for us in his loving kindness and his long suffering and in his mercy toward us, God wants us to read this tonight and to feel the pain of the people who actually lived this and he wants us to feel it through them so that we don't have to feel it. I mean, isn't God good that he preserved in great detail the grief, the pain, and the heartache of the people here at Jerusalem, and he put it in his book for us. He preserved it all of these years so we would know what it felt like to go through what they're going through, because watch this. If they went through what they went through because of their sin, watch this. God's not going to spare us because of our sin. We're going to go through what they went through if we don't turn and repent from our sin like they didn't do, all right? So tonight, I want you to notice a few things. I'm going to give you a long introduction because the points are short, and I really do mean that tonight, all right? I mean it. Now, if the Lord takes it, look, he multiplied the bread and the fishes. And if he could multiply the bread and the fishes, he could multiply my points tonight, all right? You look down, I want you to notice the source of all of this pain. What is the source of all this pain? I want you to see something. This is what the Lord really pulled out of my heart as I studied out through these verses this week. The Bible says, from above, watch this next part. He sent fire. Keep reading. The Bible says, he has spread a net. The Bible says, he hath turned me back. He hath made me desolate and faint. Keep reading, verse 14. The Bible says, the yoke of my transgression is bound by what? His hand. They are wreathed and come upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. The Lord, verse 15, hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men. You look at the end of verse 15, the Bible says, the Lord hath. So as we read this, it almost gives us the idea that God is being mean and God is being cruel. Is that what it looks like? The Lord is just bringing all of this grief and all of this pain upon these people. So the Lord is the source of all of this heartache, correct? No. Look down, if you will, to verse number 18. Jeremiah wants us to know the Lord is righteous. Now, here's what's happening. This is not God acting out of rage. This is God reacting to unrighteousness. 
I want you to understand that. When you read what's happening in verse 13, 14, and 15, this is not God sitting up in heaven like Zeus with his firebolts and his thunderbolts throwing them down. This is not God acting out of rage. This is truly God acting in righteousness. What God is doing is responding to unrighteousness, all right? God didn't start this fight. That's what I want you to see. God didn't instigate this. God wasn't sitting up there in heaven looking down upon these people and saying, you know what, I just don't like them. You know, there's people like that in our lives, aren't there? Oh, there's people you just don't like. I'm probably one of them. It's all right to admit it, all right? Just some people that you just don't like, and you don't know why. Maybe it's the way they look, the way they smell, the way they act. But I mean, they're a football team, but you just don't like them, all right? Aren't you glad God's not like us? Because I guarantee you, we've all given any reason not to like us. God wasn't just sitting up there saying, you know what, I don't like those people, zap, because look, if you and I could do that, we probably would have done it already to people, wouldn't we? God didn't start this. We read about how God is bringing all this to pass, but what we're reading in verse 13, 14, and 15 is God's reaction to sin. Now understand, when we sin, we force God to respond. Why? Look down, verse 18, because the Lord is righteous. All right? God's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He can't overlook sin. God will judge sin. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What does that mean? When we sin, we are forcing God to respond. I'll promise you God did not enjoy what he's doing in verse 13, 14, and 15. Just as a dad, I, look, I found it hard to spank our daughter when she was younger, and she'll probably need it as she gets more into the teenage years. We'll probably have to get a bigger stick for her uh, now that she's getting a little bit older. Man, it's hard for me to do that. Why? Because I love her, and I don't want to hurt her, and I don't want her to cry. Don't look at me. I can't even look at her, all right? I might put some sunglasses on. I don't want you to look at me when I'm giving you a whooping because she can melt me down with those eyes. And oh, how our father is, and it grieves the heart of his, our father when he has to chasten every son that he what? Loves. But when we sin, understand this, what I want you to see tonight. When we sin, God is forced to respond, and that's what we're seeing here. Oftentimes when we have a natural disaster, uh, the insurance company, what do they call them? They call them acts of God, all right? Acts of God. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, you know, things come through. But oftentimes, you know, God brings storms in our life, and they're not acts of God, they're not actions of God, they are reactions of God, all right? God brings trouble, God brings trial. We see all throughout scripture that God would raise up an enemy. God would raise up trouble and tribulation and trial, why? As a reaction to the sin of his people. Now, understand, the same God that's doing this is the same God we serve, all right? There's a reason God put this in his book, because he wants us to know that when we act like they acted, we're gonna get the same reaction, all right? I told you many times, I'm the middle child. How many middle children do we have here tonight? Middle children? We're in a great club, all right? The middle children are the best, or at least that's my opinion, all right? Middle children, poor Miley, she's the first and the last. I guess she's not the middle one, all right? There's not a middle one in there anywhere. She's the first or the last, but those middle kids, man, watch this. We have the, we have the edge of getting to learn from our older siblings and our younger siblings, right? If they do something and get in trouble, don't do that. They do something, get in trouble, don't do that. And we just have, look, we have a lot of guinea pigs that we get to learn from, right? I mean, that's what older brothers and sisters are for and younger brothers and sisters are for. We get to learn from their mistakes. Now, God says, watch this, learn from them. Don't act the way they acted, and I won't react the way that I reacted. But understand this tonight. Jeremiah is showing us something very simple, and the fact that sin is a liability, 
all right? Sin is a liability. What does that mean? That means sin is something we cannot afford, and it's going to cost us. Now, we see verse 13, 14, and 15, this is the cost of sin, all right? This is not God being mean, throwing firebolts. What they're doing is they're finding out sin is a liability. It's going to cost you. So the lesson tonight is simply this, the lesson of liability. The lesson of liability. We must take full responsibility for the repercussions of our sin. Sin must be paid for. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now, God says, read verse 13, 14, and 15, and you're going to see that sin's a liability. Sin is costly, and I'm going to show you just what kind of a debt sin is in those three verses, if we could. Now, look down at verse 13. From above hath he sent fire into my bones. I mean, how horrible is this? And it prevaileth against them. He hath spread a net for my feet. He hath turned me back. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. Now, what's happening here? What we're seeing here is that sin is overwhelming them. Notice the word the Bible says here, it prevaileth against them. Now, that's what a liability is. A liability is something that costs you. A liability is something you can't afford. My dad, I don't know the name of this young man right now. Uh, many years ago, uh, he came to work when I was a teenager, and he was a teenager, and we worked for my dad. And we're putting in a foundation for an agricultural building there on Highway 49 in Collins, and we were driving the stakes for the form boards. And uh, he had never had a real job before, uh, you know, other than working out his thumbs and uh, on video games. And we were slinging sledgehammers. We were driving two-by-four stakes into the ground, uh, getting that slab ready to pour. And uh, I was driving my stakes down one side. Dad says, so-and-so, here's the hammer. You go drive your stakes. He comes over about five minutes later, and all he's holding is, is the handle of a sledgehammer. All right? Uh, the metal part goes on the stake and not the wood part. All right? And he was hitting the, the, and then broke the head off of it. This is no joke. A few minutes later, my dad goes down to the hardware store there in Collins, Pickering Hardware, uh, bought another sledgehammer, bought it back, uh, gave it to him. He says, look, try to take care of this one. Uh, it probably wasn't, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes later, he walks over to my dad carrying the second handle. And sledgehammers aren't cheap, by the way. Dad says, look, I can't afford to keep replacing hammers all day, all right? So dad goes and gets another one. No joke, ask my dad. He's honest, he'll tell you the truth. Before the day was over, he had busted three handles off of sledgehammers. I remember my dad telling me on the way home, I don't know if we can afford to keep this guy. All of our profit was getting eat up in sledgehammers, all right? Dad says, this guy is a liability, all right? It's a liability. We can't afford to keep him. I think he probably spent his entire check on three sledgehammers for that one day's work. Now, here's what the Bible's showing us. The Bible shows us in verse number 13 that sin and the debt of sin will prevail over us. What is it saying? It says, look, when you sin, you're responsible to pay that debt, and you're going to pay that debt. And the Bible's showing us in verse 13, number one, that sin is an overwhelming debt. Now, notice the word prevaileth. The Bible says it has overwhelmed them and overcome them. Jeremiah is saying, look, we have sinned, and we couldn't afford it. I forget what the statistic is, but an overwhelming majority of Americans are in a tremendous amount of debt tonight. Uh, we owe a lot of people for a lot of things we really did not need. And what do we do? We have bitten off more than we can chew, all right? We have tried to get more things that we, we thought we wanted and we thought we could handle, but we could not afford. How many times do we go to buy something? We go to Best Buy or we go to the car lot. Stay away from them, all right? Stay away from them unless you plan on buying one. And uh, we walk up there and we're looking at that car and we start figuring it up. Well, if we just didn't eat on Thursdays, you know, and I hear on, on the black market, you can get 30 grand for a kidney, 
And we start adding up, yeah, I think I can handle it. And we go and we sign all the papers. Watch this. We assume responsibility. Hey, I can pay this debt. And after a while, the interest starts adding up. After a while, we do want to eat on Thursdays, and we get partial to our kidneys. And we're like, you know, I really don't think I can pay that. And next thing you know, we can't afford it anymore. Why? The debt has become overwhelming. Now, I want you to see how this is word. Watch closely to the wordage here. The Bible says, verse 13, he hath turned me back. He hath turned me back. I thought I could handle it. I thought I could go down this road. Here's God's people thinking, you know what? We thought we could go down this road. We thought we could handle this. But what did sin do in verse 13? The Bible says, he hath turned me back. Can I tell you something tonight? Sin will always turn you back. I don't care what the sin is. I don't care how small you think it is. I don't care how big you think you are. You go down the road of sin, and out of the will of God, it's always going to turn you back. Why? Sin is overwhelming. We think, well, you know, I've been raised in church. I can handle a little bit. Yeah, talk to David about that. Man, after God's own heart. If anybody could handle it, surely David could, and yet David couldn't. Why? Psalms 38, 4, David says, For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. What is David saying? David says, I'm going under. David is simply saying, my sin has overwhelmed me. Keep reading the end of verse 13. He hath made me desolate. You know what desolate means? There's no resources left. What's happening in Jerusalem here, they have been turned back and now they're broke. The Bible says faint all the day. When you are faint, what does it mean? It means you have nothing left to give. See, that's what sin does to you. After a while, you realize sin is an overwhelming debt that you cannot handle. Many years ago, we were in New York City, took my wife there on our 10th anniversary, and um, Miley got to go with us because she's an only child, and uh, I didn't have to, to pay for a lot of other kids to go. And so she was able to go with us, and I wanted to go to Tiffany's and buy my wife something from Tiffany's. You know, see, hear about it on the, the movies and stuff like that, and it's right beside Trump Tower, and so we went into Tiffany's, and I didn't realize the place was so big. And I'm thinking, you don't want to get my wife something from Tiffany, something nice. And the lady says, why don't you get her a nice handbag? Yeah, that's a great idea. Get her a handbag. So it took me up to floor three or four, floor four. We're walking around. And I said, well, that one's kind of nice. It had some purple and gold in it. It had Tiffany's on it, you know. I wanted to carry it around. And everybody said, man, you got an awesome husband to buy you something from Tiffany's. It was really for me, not for her. And um, I asked her, how much is that? She said, that one's 37. Well, give me two of them. Hmm. She pulled the, the tag was concealed in the pocket of the purse. I should have known better, Brother Michael. When they hide the price tag, you know something's up. She, I said, well, let me look at it. I pulled it out. It was alligator skin and all this. I pulled it out. It was $3,700. But her daughter with us then, you know, she, uh, she just, she's so young, she didn't know any better. She says, Dad, why don't we get that one? I'm like, mm. I want to fly home, but I didn't want to like a cheapskate, all right? You know, it's like, oh, I don't think she's going to like that one. You know, alligator skin, you know, poor animal died for that person. <laughs> That's politically incorrect. We don't want to do that. And so we walked over to admit there's a smaller one, you know, and I'm thinking, well, maybe that one. I said, how much is that one? She says, that one's 16. Miley goes, 16? Dad, why don't we get that one? <laughs> she didn't figure it out. It was $1,600. And I was thinking this afternoon, how often... Oh, the devil tempts us with something nice, an alligator skin purse of sin, if you will. And we're looking at it. We're thinking, boy, I really want that. And the Holy Spirit's going, mm, mm. And we're like, no, but it looks really nice. And the Holy Spirit's like, mm, no. What is he doing? He's telling you, you can't afford that. 
All right, you can't afford that. Now, I probably could have charged the credit card up and, and hocked our tickets back home uh, in order to buy the person. We could have bought it, but I'd have been stranded. You know what I would have been? I would have been desolate and faint. Why? Because that's an overwhelming debt. I didn't have what it was going to cost to pay that. Now, how often in our lives does the devil come and tempt us on something we know we shouldn't have and something we know we... I'm not talking about material possessions. I'm talking about sin. And we're looking at it, we're thinking, boy, that looks pretty good. And if I just work this out and that out, I think I could afford that. And the Holy Spirit's like, mm. and we're like, no, I can handle it. And after a while, we show up desolate and faint all the day. Why? Because we bit off more than we could chew. You know, oftentimes we think about conviction as God not wanting us to enjoy life. You know, by the way, he didn't have to create us, but he created us for his pleasure. You know, he created a perfect garden for Adam and Eve. He put them in that garden and he says, look, this is yours. He gave them something wonderful. But what did he tell them? Genesis chapter 2, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Here's God saying, look, I've given you all of this, but don't eat that. Don't touch that. You know what he's telling them? He's not being mean. He says, you can't afford it. You can't afford it. I mean, I know that fruit looks good and you think you want to be, be wise like God, but you can't afford that. Why? Because he goes on to say, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He says, it's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. Why? Because sin is an overwhelming debt. You can't afford it. Folks, it's all right every once in a while. Look, when you're walking through the mall, you're walking through a car lot and say no to the salesman, I can't afford it. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, there's a lot of wisdom in that. But in our pride, what do we do? I've told you before, boy, when I bought that PT Cruiser back in 2002, Mullen Motors, that man says, when you go down the road, everybody's going to look at you. He didn't tell me why they'd be looking at me. I'm like, yep, that's what I need in my life. Nobody looked at me for really good reasons, you know. He says, when you go by, men raking their yard. He was good. They're raking their yard. They're going to stop and watch you go by. I'm like, yeah, I need that. And boy, that pride just begins swelling up. Boy, I need that in my life. I didn't need that in my life. I was so thankful my brother totaled it for me. But after a while, he talked me into something that I didn't need. You know what debt will do? Debt will overwhelm your household. But you know what spiritual debt will do? It'll overwhelm your spirit. You can't handle it. The Bible says here they're desolate and faint all the day. One of my favorite stories is when the Philistines uh, stole the Ark of the Covenant, 1 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 5. They stole it. They says, hey, we need this. This is the key to their power and their strength. We need this. And they just went and got it. They brought it back. And for the sake of uh, illustration and for the sake of just going along with Scripture, remember God was not too happy about that. God smothered what the Bible calls emirates. Look it up when you get home. You can figure out what that is. Wasn't was it a very good situation for them? After a while, do you know what they said? 1 Samuel 5, 11, listen, here they are. They got what they wanted. Oh, yeah, we need that. They got what they wanted. Listen close. So they went and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, 1 Samuel 5, 11, and said, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go again to its own place that it slay us not and our people, for there was deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. What are they saying? We thought we wanted it, but we can't afford it. Folks, look, when we step out of the will of God to sin, you've got to understand, it may not happen on day one as Adam and Eve. They didn't die on day one, did they? They didn't die on day two. They lived for a little while. But sooner or later, Adam and Eve paid the debt for their sin, which was their life. Now, folks, understand, God is faithful, but God is also just. 
And the overwhelming debt of sin that Jerusalem is paying right here is the overwhelming debt that you or I will pay as soon as we think that we can handle sin on our own and of ourselves. So number one, what are we looking at tonight? We're looking at the lesson of liability. Sin was a costly liability for Israel. Romans 3.23, we know it well, for the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? It's a payment. It's a price. Every time I lead somebody to the Lord, we go down through that. Romans road, we talk about sin, try to get them to the place where we realize we're all sinners. We've all sinned. Some folks are like trying to pin down jello. It takes a little while, but you get them. There was, yes, I've lied, I've stolen, I thought a bad thought, I've said a cuss word. Every one of us have sin. We've broken God's law. And then we read 3.23 for the wages of sin. There's a price for that. By the way, there's still a price for sin. There's still a price for sin. You know, I believe, I believe a lot. And I think, look, if you'll, if you'll be honest, you'd agree with me as well. So much of what we're experiencing in America tonight in 2021 is the debt of sin. We're paying the debt of sin. I mean, here we are, America, the military might of the world, the economic uh, uh, envy of the world, uh, the constitutional envy of the world. We just have a, a wonderful system here, and I think we got a little bit too big for our britches, thinking, you know what? We're the great United States of America where everybody wants to come here. We can handle a little bit of sin. We can go down that road. And yet I think America saw in 2020 and 2021 that we are being turned back. Why? Because sin is an overwhelming debt. James 1.15, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I want you to see something right here. Notice the Bible says that he is drawn away of his own lust. Now notice, you're not dying right there. You're just being drawn away. How often do we know, because the Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved, he lives in your heart. How often do we know when we're getting pulled away? We know it. Look, the Holy Spirit's not going to let you drift without letting you know it. He's going to let you know it. And you know you're drifting. You hadn't read your Bible today. You hadn't prayed today. You skipped out on church service. You know you're drifting. He's let you know you're drifting. He lets you know. And we think, you know what? I'm drifting, but I'm not dying. That's what we do, right? I'm not redlined yet, you know? That gas needle, uh, it's not all the way past that little peg on the E. You know, we know how far we can go before it totally runs out, right? The Holy Spirit, let, you're drifting, you're drifting, but what does it go on to say? He's drawn away with his own lust and enticed. Watch this. I'm just being enticed. I'm not dying yet. I can afford to be enticed, but the Bible says, lust when it hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that I can't afford to be tempted. Why? Because temptation leads to death. You're thinking, well, you know what? Temptation's not death, but it leads there. Temptation is the gateway that leads to death. And as soon as you think you can go down that road of being enticed and being drawn away, that's why it's important you never give place to the devil. Don't miss one church service you don't have to miss. Don't skip reading your Bible one time when you don't, listen, when you don't have to. Don't miss spending time with the Lord in prayer in the morning before you walk out the door. Why? Because when you give him space, all of a sudden you begin to drift, and the end game for the devil is always death. It's a debt that we can't afford to pay. I'll give you this or I'll give you the second point. I want you to remember this. This is the burden of the message tonight. It's best for us to be overwhelmed by the conviction of sin than the consequences of sin. Now let this sink in, okay? It's best for us. Look, we come to church and we get convicted that we drifted a little bit. Folks, could we just all admit tonight we all drift? We all drift. We're all, listen, at times, not as close to God as we were at other times. It happens to all of us, okay? Don't let the devil convince you in your pride that nobody else ever drifts, all right? We all do. 
And the Holy Spirit convicts us in a church service that we've drifted a little bit, and we're like, no, I can't, I can't get back. We don't like that conviction of sin. But I assure you, no matter how bad that conviction of sin feels, the consequences of sin are far greater. Watch. God's people refuse to be convicted of their sin. Uh-uh. You're not going to make me comply. They refuse to be convicted of it. And so God says, okay, if you refuse to feel the conviction of sin, you're going to feel the consequences of sin. And look how horrific it is in verse number 13. So number one, what kind of a debt is sin? Sin is an overwhelming debt. Look at verse 14. The Bible says the yoke of my transgression is bound by his hand. This is God doing this in response to their sin. They are wreathed and come upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fail. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands from whom I am not able to rise up. Now, I want you to see that last part of that verse. The Bible says, from whom I am not able to rise up. So number one, sin is overwhelming. It's going, mark God's words. Okay, you may not trust me, but mark God's words. Sin's going to overwhelm you. You can't contain it, all right? But that doesn't mean we're not going to fight it, do we? How often do we fight the consequences for our sin? You know, I'm going to fight it. I know God's trying, but I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it. Notice in verse 14, the end of that verse, we see the picture of an enemy with his foot on the neck of his prey. The enemy has finally overwhelmed God's people, and the enemy has his foot on the neck of them. And you can picture God's people trying to raise up. We're going to try to resist We're going to try to stand against the judgment that's coming our way. But notice what it says. I am not able to rise up. Why? Sooner or later we realize, number two, sin is an irresistible debt. Sin is an irresistible debt. I heard a commercial the other day, and it was an IRS commercial. One of those warnings, warning, the IRS has just hired 5 million new lawyers uh, to come and collect their debt, and you better settle that debt quick, or they're going to come throw you in jail and, uh, you know, throw away the key and all of those things. And it says, or you can conveniently hire one of our debt negotiators to get you out of the debt that you're in, and we'll, we'll talk to the IRS and get you down to just a portion of the debt that you owe. And they may be able to negotiate and talk out of some of that responsibility. But it's something we have to understand tonight. Debt is a sin that is non-negotiable, right? Debt, the sin, debt that we owe, it demands a payment. Several years ago, I was, um, I was in Louisiana pastoring there. One of our members came and talked to me about student loans. He says, look, I want to have the freedom to ser- serve God. These student loans are so high. Hey, can you figure out, can you talk to somebody and see if we can figure out how to get rid of these student loans? Oh, I thought, surely, I mean, our government, is so, our, our government is so kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Surely, there's a program to forgive their student loan. I looked and looked and read and read and Googled and Googled and called and called, and there was no way I could get him out of it. I said, the only answer is you're going to have to pay off this student debt. That's the way sin is. Sin's worse than a student debt. The Bible says, I cannot raise up from it. What does it mean? It means, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It means that sin, once it overwhelms you, you can push back and fight back, but sooner or later, you're going to succumb to the effects and overwhelming effects of sin in your life. You can try, what does the Bible say in verse 14? You can try to rise up. 
I think oftentimes teenagers, I, I love our teenagers and spent more of my life really preaching to teenagers. And one of the verses I often try to get the young people to realize is Proverbs 29.1. Young people, if I could get you to memorize this one. The Bible says, he that being often reproved. What does that mean? Reproof is correction. All right? Growing up, sometimes, I know it's not often, but sometimes teenagers are wrong. Okay? Sometimes, right, Brother Heath? I mean, sometimes. Every once in a while, you know, they'll just have an off day and they will make a mistake. And what do you do when a teenager makes a mistake? Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're right with God, you reprove them. All right? Reprove them. Why? Because you love them. The Bible says, he that being often reproved or, correct, or, or, or corrected hardeneth his neck. What does that mean? That means you're trying to steer, uh, no offense, young people, I'm not calling you an oxen, okay? But you're trying to steer that oxen this way. He's got that yoke around his neck, and you're trying to steer him. And here's what he's doing. He's pulling back. Uh-uh. He's resisting. Uh-uh. I'm not going the way you want me to go. I know here's the farmer. He's, he's trying to steer that oxen in the plow, trying to keep it going straight. And that, that oxen's turning, and he's pulling, and he's pulling, and he's pulling. What's the oxen saying? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You ain't going to make me do it. You're not going to make me go that way. Wait a minute. What's the Bible say? He that being often reproved or corrected or directed hardeneth his neck. That's resistance. God ain't going to make me do that. Keep reading. The Bible says, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. What does that mean? That means you might resist it for a while. Watch. God in his mercy and his grace uh, may hold back. You know, mercy is when God holds back what we do deserve. God may hold back on the reins and say, I'm not, I'm not yet, not yet, not yet. But sooner or later, judgment falls. God gave message after message after message to his people, preaching repentance. Get right, get right, get right. And he's like, nope, 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 you're not going to turn me. God says, okay, if you won't be convicted of sin, you're going to feel the consequences of sin. And notice it was irresistible. What did he say in verse 14? I'm not able to rise up. Oftentimes I'll... As a pastor, you know, you love the folks God placed you uh, to lead. And like all of us, we stray sometimes, get out of the will of God. And by the way, I'm so thankful throughout my teenage years and my 20s in my life for godly men and women who loved me enough to give me direction. I mean that. There's no self-made men in here tonight. We're all, listen, we're all who we are. As Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And oftentimes, God's grace is exhibited through people who care enough to give us direction. I'm so thankful for that. Sometimes we'll have uh, folks that God placed in our sphere of influence, whether it be in a, in a pastor of a church, maybe in your family, maybe your friends, maybe your neighborhood, and God puts them on your heart, and you go to them, and you try to give them instruction. Hey, no, no, listen, that's going to be trouble. You, you don't want to go down that road. You're going to be turned back, and they're like, oh, no, I'm going to be all right. You know what they're saying? I'll rise up. I'll rise up. But now we see Jeremiah writing here in verse 14, I'm not able to rise up. Sooner or later, we reap from what we sowed. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know what that means? It means God's going to be right every time. God's always going to be right. You can't plant corn and kneel over that corn and just pray that it turns to a tomato bush. I mean, you, you know, he said, well, I couldn't afford some tomato seeds, so I just planted a lot of corn, and I'm going to pray over each one of those corns, and I'm going to pray that God will give me a crop of tomatoes. Now, could God do it? Yeah, is he? Probably not. 
Why? Because you're going to reap what you sow. Don't be surprised if you sow corn if you don't reap corn, all right? The best way to guarantee that that corn doesn't come up, watch this, is to repent of it. That means go dig it up and get rid of it. That's the only way to guarantee you're not going to have a crop of corn come in. And that's the way sin is. 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins only after we're confessing our sins. What does that mean? It means go dig it up. Because there will come a time that the debt of sin becomes irresistible where you cannot rise up. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to hurry. The Bible says this story gives us in the account of the apostle Paul. Evidently, Paul had been, or Saul, had been running from God for a while. So how do you know that? Because verse 5, when he says, who art thou, Lord? The Lord says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He had been kicking against God. Now, what that goad was is an ox goad. They had a long stick with a point on the end of it. And when that oxen would get tired, and decide, you know what? I'm not going any further. That farmer would just tap the back of his heel a little bit. Ooh, it kind of hurt. And that ox got on about his way. Or maybe the ox is going the wrong way. That farmer reaches over, tap, 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 a little bit of pain on the heel. And all of a sudden, that ox knows I got to straighten up. But after a while, you get some hard-headed oxen. And the ox says, I don't want to go there. So he starts kicking back against it. I'm tired of that guy poking me with that thing. Pow! And he kicks. Do you know the only person he's hurting? The ox. He's not hurting the farmer at all. And the longer he kicks against it, the more his heel becomes bloodied and the more he becomes injured in the process. This is what God's telling us. He told Paul, it's hard for thee to kick against him. What is he saying? He says, I'm going to win. You're going to submit to me one way or the other. Thank God. The Apostle Paul was smart enough to submit to God's will and God's way. Why? Because sin is an irresistible debt. Proverbs 5, turn there with me real quick. I'm going to hurry. Proverbs chapter number 5. I want you to see something. This is the inspired, inerrant word of God. That means what he says is going to be right. Especially our young men. I want you to watch this, but young ladies, watch this as well. Because you're about to see someone go down this road that they can't afford to go down. Proverbs chapter 5, look at verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom. What does that mean? It means listen. And bow thine ear, that's submission, to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end, oh, look at that. Her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Notice the direction here. Her end, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth. Notice this. Notice all the directional terms. Depart not. Stay on the path where I'm telling you here. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh to the door of her house, the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others. You know what that is? That's a cost. You're going to give up something when you go down this road. Keep reading in verse 10. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. Here's what I want you to see. And thou mourn at the last. Can I tell you, you don't mourn usually the first few steps down that road, do you? Matter of fact, the first few steps down that road might be enjoyable. But notice, you keep going. The Bible says you're going to mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. That means done away with, gone. Consumed means it's an overwhelming 
irresistible debt. We cannot afford the debt of sin. Israel is figuring that out the hard way. The last thing I want you to see real quick, and we're going to be done tonight, is look down, if you would, to verse number 15. The Lord hath trodden under foot all my mighty men in the midst of me. Just defeat after defeat after defeat. He hath called me and called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a wine press. The last thing I want you to see is God's people are finally doing what he wanted them to do all along. Twice in verse number 15, we see these words, the Lord. Now what's happening here? Jeremiah has no doubt who has brought this to pass. He said, this is God's doing. God did this. There's no other one who could do what has, is taking place here. This is all of God. Now, what's God's doing here? He's doing for them what they would not do originally. What is that? They're acknowledging God. They're finally acknowledging the Lord, the Lord. Number three, I want you to see this. Sin is an undeniable debt. It's an undeniable debt. You say, what do you mean by that? Growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, graffiti artists had something they, they did. I don't think they still do it. We have any graffiti artists in here tonight? Smart. They would always spray paint, so-and-so was here. Remember that? Anybody ever do that? Man, almost got you. I figured Wednesday night, you know, 8 o'clock, your brain must not as sharp. You guys, are, you guys are good liars, all right? But, you know, you, they would paint on here, seniors, you know, 98 were here. Or Bob was here. Frank was here. You know, if it was me, I'd put my friend's name. I wouldn't put my name. I mean, it's kind of incriminating, you know. Jeremiah Andrews was here. Not very smart, okay? That's why I never did that. When you look down at this destruction, can I tell you what you can surmise from this? God was here. God was here. Because what you're seeing take place in verse number 15, verse number 16, is undeniably God. What's happening? God finally got them to the place where they acknowledge who he is and what sin will do. There's no way. It's undeniable. He says, the Lord hath trodden underfoot. It's the Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a wine press. You know what a wine press is? It's one of those giant barrels where they put the grapes, and they used to stomp on them. Now, I don't know who would want to drink grape juice that somebody stepped on. I mean, nasty. I mean, who wants, some, who wants jelly for their toes, some grape jelly on their toes, and you look, and there's a toenail down in there. I mean, that's not very exciting, is it? None of you are ever going to be able to eat Welch's grape jelly ever, ever again. That wine press, you know, they would put those grapes, and they would stomp on it, stomp on it, stomp on it, and they would just destroy them until the, all that was left was the juice coming out. I mean, it was just destroyed. You weren't putting it back together. It's obliterated. That's the illustration for Jerusalem. The Bible says the Lord has trodden us down like a winepress. God has, has crushed us. And finally, watch this, all throughout the book of Jeremiah, all the minor prophets who prophesied and says, listen, repent, turn back to God, turn back to God. They wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't acknowledge God. But look what they're doing in verse number 16, or verse 15. They're acknowledging God finally. Understand this, sin is an overwhelming debt. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. David couldn't handle it. Samson couldn't handle it. Solomon couldn't handle it. A perfect Adam and Eve couldn't handle it. What on earth thinks you and I think we can handle sin? We can't. Don't give place to the devil. Why? Because you can't handle it. Then it's an irresistible debt. You will pay. You will pay. 
We see them, they finally got to the place where they can't rise up. But it's an undeniable debt. Sooner or later, you're going to acknowledge sin. Remember growing up, we used to play that game called mercy. That's why we all have arthritis, or you have arthritis. I don't have it yet, but, you know, mercy. And finally, you're going back and forth with your buddies, you know, trying to figure out who has, uh, has the biggest muscles, you know. And finally, all of a sudden, he's, he overwhelms you, and you say mercy. You're acknowledging that he's greater. Sooner or later, I'll promise you, you will acknowledge that you could not handle sin. It's irresistible and it's undeniable. Exodus chapter 14, verse number four, God said this before he drowned Pharaoh. Now, what were the plagues all about? They were showing God's power, but trying to get Pharaoh to acknowledge God. You're going to acknowledge me. Pharaoh, I'm the great mighty Pharaoh. And while he's sitting up there, nope, I'm not going to let him go. Nope, I'm not going to let him go. What is he doing? He's hardening his neck. Nope. Finally, Exodus 14, verse 4, God says this, I will be honored upon Pharaoh. When God brings those walls of the Red Sea crashing in on top of him, finally, Pharaoh bowed before God. And I'll promise you, sin will always make you bow. You can't carry that load. Romans 14, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Do you know what that account is all about? Settling our debts. Sin is a debt you can't afford to keep on the books. America has run, had a running tab of sin now for, for a long time. And we've been racking up the tab, racking up the tab. I remember several years ago, my brother is more well-off than I am financially. And, uh, you know, we go to Disney World. We kind of just pinch our pennies and watch our purchases. And I tell my wife, yes, we're going to buy an ice cream cone. And you get half, and, and I get half, and Molly gets the cone. You know, kind of share that with my brother. He, he's, uh, he's financially more financially affluent. And both of us went down to the front desk at the same time to pay our debts. I got up there because he charged it to the room. It's just too easy to charge it to your room get down there and the lady says, that'll be $57 and 63 cents. I could grief. You know, Leslie, Miley, just racked up a bunch of charges. So finally, I just pulled out the, the card, swiped the card. My brother got up there. They said, that'll be $2,567. I looked over at him. He had his grin on my face. He goes, luggage. He, he had bought this whole set of luggage. I said, you buy luggage before you go to Disney World, not while you're at Disney World, but he could afford it. But man, we got down there, and boy, he was surprised at how much it added up. And one day, watch this. If we don't make sure that we confess and forsake our sin, you're going to stand before an almighty God. And we're going to give an account to God. And the debt's going to be undeniable because God keeps great records. And the sad thing is this tonight. 1 John 1, 9 says we can confess it and forsake it down here. We can settle the debt. But you keep that running debt Sooner or later, just as in the case of Jerusalem, we see the judgment of God fall. Sooner or later, he's going to call in his debts. I was talking to somebody the other day, I think it was my dad. I don't know how much of our debt China owns. Billions and billions of dollars. And I've, I've, I've read articles, I've watched news uh, commentaries about what happens the day that finally all of these billions of dollars of debt are called. Sooner or later, I assure you, you keep sin in your life and you keep racking up sin in your life, that debt's going to add up. The judgment's going to fall. Why? Because sin's an overwhelming debt. Sin is an irresistible debt. And it's an undeniable debt. 
So tonight, what does God want us to do? He wants us to read Lamentations. I'm gonna say this till we finish the book. He wants us to read Lamentations. And he wants us to watch people who went through the horror. This is not, this is, this is not science fiction, spiritual fact. He wants us to watch the horror they went through and say, for the sake of my children, my grandchildren, my wife, my husband, my church, my country, I'm gonna go ahead and clear that debt, confess it, forsake it, because I don't want them to have to go through what we see these people going through. Tonight, folks, sin's a liability. You can't afford to keep it. And the longer you keep it, the more interest is adding up. And it's gonna be rough when that debt is called. So tonight, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed,